is like God removing a hand of blessing from you. Don't think that. So often in the Bible, I mean, could you imagine the victory that Satan thought he had over God when Jesus was crucified? Like, yeah, I got it done. The Son of God is gone. Oh, God's like, man, I'm going to up the ante on this and raises Jesus from the dead. It's a hard thing to own up to our mistakes. Our hearts want to make excuses for our transgressions against God, when what we should be doing is backtracking to the start of our relationship with Him. As we'll hear in Pastor Daniel's teaching today, when Abram recognizes his sin, he physically goes back to the place where God spoke with him. In repentance, he reconnected with his father. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 10 with his continuing study entitled, The Calling of Abram. They, in that culture, they call it slavery. Now, I don't want to get off on a side tangent, but when the Bible talks about slavery, in this day and age, we always filter it through African slavery, which was an atrocity, which had to do with kidnapping, people against their will. That is not the Bible's version of slavery. If you don't believe me in your own time, go read Exodus chapter 21. The way the Bible talks about slavery is very much the way you and I have a job. That's what it is. I mean, that's the way it functions. And if you read Exodus 21, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. God says that kidnapping is absolutely illegal. It's punishable by death. So that type of slavery that they're talking about here, it's more of an indentured servitude, which is pretty much what all of us are. You have a mortgage, you have a car payment, you need a job to pay for your stuff. Your job is to do X, Y, or Z. In our day and age, we work for companies. In their day and age, they work for people who are wealthy. So you have to realize that when the Bible talks about slavery, it's not African slavery. So people get all freaked out about that, but we'll get into that more later. So, but there were people who attached themselves to Abram and his family because he was doing well for himself and he needed work to be done. And so people worked with and for him. So all these people go, they come to a place called Shechem. We find this right here in verse 6. Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Shechem is modern day Nablus. It's interesting that they make the point here that the Canaanites were in the land. That's important because remember, God promised them a land and God promised him a mighty nation, offspring. So they're going to a place, but the Canaanites are there. This is all setting the stage for the story because the Canaanites were there. From there it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Fascinating. They're in this place, right? They find out that the Canaanites are there, and God says, look, this is the land I'm going to give you. So now we have the land broken down. We have the land broken down to a place called Canaan, right? And God says, I'm going to give you this land. And what does Abram do? Abram worships. I love that. What a great response to God at every turn of our lives. Worship. Isn't that what he does right here? He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
That means he offered a sacrifice. For us, the main sacrifice we give is the sacrifice of praise. When was the last time you just stopped to worship God? Just thank you, God. Now, we think of worship, we think we need like, you know, Pastor Jason Ritchie around. You know what I mean? That every time you're like, I need, I need my worship music on. But worship is really a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of exalting God, praising God, thanking God, simply acknowledging the reality of God. And Abram does this. God, they move into this place, there's all these people there, and God says, I'm going to give you this land. And what does Abram do? He worships. Our lives would look pretty profound if we simply worshipped God. Made much of God. Now in verse 8 it says, Then he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Verse 10, look at what happens. Now there was a famine in the land. Verse 10 of Genesis 12. And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. Men, underline that. Your wife loves hearing things like that. Right there. Indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. Guys, I know you guys got to hear it twice. Take note. Your wives are like, "Uh uh-huh. Preach it, Pastor Daniel. You go for it. Your wives love hearing things. Indeed, you are a woman of beautiful countenance, right? In verse 12, Therefore it will happen that when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was that when Abram came into Egypt, that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for his sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with the great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister? I may have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went to Egypt. This is going to be a running theme. In Canaan, it was a desert In the land of Egypt, because of the Nile, it was irrigated land, which means it wasn't dependent on rainfall. We're going to see Jacob moving from Canaan to Egypt because of a famine at the end of the book, which is going to set us up for Exodus. So in the land of Canaan, it was an arid climate. When there was no rainfall, nothing could grow. So they went to Egypt. It's interesting. They're heading down to Egypt, and all of a sudden, it dawns on Abram. My wife is a beautiful gal. And he realizes that in that culture... When a beautiful woman showed up in Egypt, the Pharaoh was allowed to, you know, say, hey, I want her to be my wife. And you couldn't say anything. And Abram is nervous. He's thinking to myself, my wife is just absolutely gorgeous, right? And we're going to go there and they're going to say, that's his wife. Let's kill that guy so we can have the beautiful woman for the Pharaoh. Now that sounds terrible. It sounds kind of caveman-ish. And it is and was. It's not like that anymore. But in that day and age, that's the way things rolled. 
you know? And so Abram was nervous. So he says to her, listen, just tell him you're my sister. But you see what's going on here? What's going on here is this. God promised a land and God promised offspring. And now all of a sudden we're in trouble. Do you see what's going on here? There's a tension now. God promised offspring. But now Abram's wife, Sarah, is going to end up in Pharaoh's court. Is God's plans going to be thwarted by a funky turn of events? And what's the answer? Always. No. Brothers and sisters, listen. Don't think that weird turns of events in your life is like God removing a hand of blessing from you. Don't think that. So often in the Bible, I mean, could you imagine the victory that Satan thought he had over God when Jesus was crucified? Like, yeah, I got it done. The Son of God is gone. Oh, God's like, man, I'm going to up the ante on this and raises Jesus from the dead. See, the reality is, is oftentimes we struggle with the turn of events. We think, God, God's not going to come through for me. God can't come through for me. And the answer is, it's just an opportunity to walk by faith. It's an opportunity to say, God, I don't understand what's happening, but you know what, God? You do. You know what's going on. God's not freaked out by this, but Abram sure is. Abram sure is freaked out by what's going on. Now, he tells her to tell them that this is my sister. Now, that's a half truth. Sarah was Abram's half-sister. And we'll see that in Genesis chapter 20. Now, you guys are all thinking, that's really weird. We don't do that today. And we all say amen to that. But that is the way that they did it. But you have to remember that a half-truth is still a whole lie. A half-truth is still a whole lie. We have to be careful from not telling quite the truth or telling a half-truth, a partial truth, thinking we could slide away from it. It's interesting, if you read the writings of the rabbis, they go crazy trying to show how Abram wasn't being deceitful when he absolutely was. Because he didn't trust. He was trying to work things out on his own. So they come up with this plan. Sure enough, in verse 14, Abram comes into Egypt. The Egyptians see Sarai. They say, hey, Pharaoh, have you seen this new gal who's in town? The princes of Pharaoh commend her to Pharaoh, and she was taken to the Pharaoh's house. And you would think to yourself, oh, this is not going to go good. Not only that, Abram got treated really well because of Sarah's beauty. He got hooked up, as we like to say today. Pharaoh gave him all sorts of amazing things. Sheep, oxen. You guys are thinking, sheep and oxen, you got to be kidding me. What this verse here, verse 16, this is what you call in Abram's day a diversified portfolio. I'm not kidding. This is like, in Abram's day, this is like, hey, I just got entrusted a whole lot of stocks, bonds, you name it, gold, all sorts of things. It's all in there. The whole swath of the way wealth was grown in that day is in this verse. So Pharaoh, is this, he's excited about Sarai. And he is hooking Abram up. He's like, man, you're the man. Your sister is gorgeous. Thank you. But what happens? It says that God plagued the Pharaoh in verse 17 and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Doesn't say what happened, but they knew something was very, very wrong. And Pharaoh comes in verse 18 and says, why did you do this to me? She's your wife. I could have made her my wife. Now get out of here and take everything I gave you with you. God's plans can't be stopped. They can't be thwarted. Things can't go wrong, even though they might seem to. It's interesting that even in Abram's lie, 
God still blessed him because Pharaoh let him keep the huge diversified portfolio that he attained anyway. And that is what you call grace. Now, I am not saying that you should do shady things to attain wealth and just because God will let you keep it, that's a good thing. We do not sin that grace may abound. But the reality is, is all of our blessings are sheer grace from God. All of our blessings. None of us deserve any of it. God is just that kind of a guy. Or that kind of a God. I don't want to make God too gendered. I'm not saying he's a guy. But you know what I'm saying? God, that's the way he is. He's so gracious. Now, in verse 13, or chapter 13, look at what happens. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. See, I told you, he got hooked up. Verse 3, and he went on his journey from the south, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now, you know what I like about these first couple verses here? What does Abram do? He makes a mistake, so what does he do? He backtracks. This is textbook repentance. Abram literally goes back to where he once was. And that's exactly the way Jesus counsels the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2 when he says, I have this against you that you left your first love. The church was doing great in Ephesus, but they had, they had all the right motions, but they lacked the proper emotion. They were doing all sorts of things good, but they weren't in love with God the way that they had started. And what does God say? I want you to repent and do the first works. Go back to do what you did at the beginning. And that's exactly what Abram does here. He makes a mistake. He goes down to Egypt. He lies. He does get blessed when he's down there. But he just goes and he backtracks. He goes back to where he knew God was meeting with him. And I want to encourage you. I know there's some people in here today who you love God, but you know that you've left your first love. That your love for God is not as robust, as profound, as influential in your life as it used to be. And so take that counsel from Jesus in Revelation 2. Repent and do the first works. Turn around and go back to do what you did in the beginning. I know for me, when I first got saved, I devoured this book. I mean, I was reading the Bible. I was in church. I was the first one there and the last one to leave. I was worshiping. I had praise music on. I was purifying my life. I was cutting things off. I don't want that in my life. And if you find that you are not where you once were, you need to go back and do the first works again. Go back to when it was pure and unadulterated, when you were like, it's Jesus and it's only Jesus, not the world, the cross before me and the world behind me. It's just like, look, the cross before me, I don't even remember what it used to be like. We need to repent and do the first works. Turn around. That's exactly what Abram does. Now, it says in verse 5 that Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now, look at what happens. Now the land was not able to support them, this is verse 6, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, 
before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Then Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, imagine this. They're leaving Egypt. Lot's got a lot of stuff. Abram's got a lot of stuff. And when, when your portfolio is livestock, they need to graze somewhere. So there's a conflict that's happening now between Lot and Abram. They, there's not enough to support both their livestock. And I, you got to love Abram. In, in verse 8, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Would to God that you and I would do everything within our power to stop strife. Now, I've said it a million times. I'm going to keep saying it until we get it. Stop creating strife between people of the opposite party. We are all brethren in the fact that we are Americans here. Okay? You don't need to fight about it. You choose to fight about it. You don't agree with them. They don't agree with you. You can agree to disagree. And you can even do it respectfully in the name of Jesus. It's important. I love this. Abram's like, look, let there be no strife between us. And if Christians are not the first to make peace because Jesus made peace for us by dying on a cross, I mean, what do we got going for us? You know, it's amazing that in a world full of strife, Christians can do just as much as everybody else. And it ought not to be so. And I want to publicly stand up and ask for forgiveness for any time I've ever done it in my life. Been a strife promoter. When we can be peacemakers. And I love this. Abram's not trying to say, you're wrong. It's lost us thing. He's like, look, let's, let there be no strife. We're brethren. We're, we're family, bro. That's what he's saying to him. And what does Abram do? He says, look at this whole land that's before us. Choose where you want to live. Now, remember, the promise was for offspring, a great nation, and a land. In the end of chapter 12, the, the potential of the offspring is in question. Now the land is in question. He's saying, Lot, look, you choose. Now Abram's walking by faith. He didn't say, listen, I have to choose this land because God promised it to me. He said, Lot, you choose. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looks. He sees the plains of the Jordan. He sees that it's lush. It is close to Sodom and Gomorrah. But he says, ah, that looks good. You got to love Lot. Lot takes the good-looking land. Walking by sight. He chose to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And guess what he did? He left Canaan for Abram, just the way God had promised. You see how this goes? Last chapter, Abram's not walking by faith. Now he is. And he lets Lot choose. Now, it's interesting that we bring up all this stuff about Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to see this in a few chapters. We'll see the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing. And the reality is, is that the way we think about Sodom and Gomorrah and the way it actually is biblically are two different things. So you can get excited about that. So Sodom and Gomorrah were exceedingly wicked for a lot of reasons, not just one or two reasons. So it's important to realize that. So Abram ends up with the land of Canaan. Lot ends up in the plain outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now look at what happens in verse 14. And we're going to finish the chapter right here. It says this. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. 
And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. After this great act of faith, where, where he lets Lot choose, God says, look, look all around you. I'm giving you this land forever. Not only that, I'm going to make your descendants as the dust. I mean, could you imagine this? Could you imagine? You ever try and count the dust? No, right? Everyone's like, please, no. God affirms th- through after Egypt and after this whole thing, God affirms, look, I'm going to bless you with the land. I'm giving it to you forever. With the land and being given forever, you have to realize that ultimately that land is going to be inherited when Jesus returns. That's what the Bible teaches. That ultimately when the Messiah comes and returns and sets this earth to rights, then the land will be completely dwelt in the way God has promised. Now, does that mean we should just tell the children of Israel, the the nation of Israel to give up the land right now? Not necessarily. Everyone's entitled to a, a place to call home. But ultimately it's never going to be fulfilled until Jesus returns. All you have to do is read the end of your Bible. You'll see that in Revelation chapters 19, 20, and 21. It's right there for you. When the, when the Lord returns, he establishes the millennial kingdom. Then that's when they're going to dwell in their land in its fullness. But not only that, he says, look, I'm going to give you the land and you're going to have descendants like the dust of the earth. Impossible to count. And that's how we know that the descendants of Abram, and if you read Romans chapters 9, 10, 11, you realize that the descendants of Abram are not just the physical descendants, but the spiritual descendants of Abram. And the number of people who put their faith and trust in the God of Abram, who put their faith and trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, it's an innumerable multitude for thousands of years of every tribe, nation, and tongue. And God promises, look, I'm going to take care of everything. I love you. He says, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. In verse 17, that's called living in the land of yes right there. For so many of us, God has given us things and we are just not enjoying them. We are not partaking of the blessings that God has given us. Where for some reason, we know we've been given it and we're shirking the blessing. But right there, he's like, look, I've given it to you. I want you to walk it now. And go enjoy the land that I've given you. And I, I really, I saw them like, oh, that's the land of yes right there. Enjoying the blessings of God. The blessings that he's given us in Christ. And it says that he then moved his tent and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And he built an altar there to the Lord. How cool is that? Once again, what do you see Abram doing through these two chapters? Building an altar and worshiping the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord at every turn of his life. Amazing, isn't it? All that God can do. The faithfulness of God. When Abram moved away from God, he didn't stay there. He went back to where he knew God was meeting with him and repented. We have the opportunity to turn things around in our own lives by doing the same thing. Purify your life. Another important takeaway from today's message was that Christians should be peacemakers. Abram made peace with people in the land because he saw the fruitlessness of strife. 
Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will look at the Abrahamic Covenant as we find in the book of Genesis. Abram comes up against enemies when his nephew Lot is taken captive. We'll hear why Christians should be peacemakers, doing everything in our power to defuse a problematic situation. The way that Abram approaches a king he is in opposition to, he goes forth blessed by God. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Next time, Pastor Daniel will continue with his series entitled Patriarchs.